Aren't you thankful we serve a faithful God? Amen. Let's all stand together. Turn to page number 11 with us, if you would. Page number 11. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Let's sing it out on the first verse. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it. Mountain thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amen. Amen. What a blessing this morning. Boy, sure good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. And sure glad you're here uh, this morning. Good to see uh, quite a few uh, guests here uh, with us this morning. And we're sure thankful uh, that you are here. It's a blessing to see Brother Mike Moore back there. And I've uh, been praying for him and Miss Carolyn. Had a great visit with her yesterday there in uh, the Good Samaritan uh, home, and so thankful that they are taking good care of her, and she was just in wonderful spirits. Just a blessing uh, this morning, and good to see a whole family uh, back there. I don't know if you know those people, Miss Elaine, So some of them people back there, but they're here because Miss Elaine turns, it's her birthday, <laughs> amen, and she turns 60 for the 20th time, amen. How's that? That work? All right. Am I, I'm not in trouble, right? Amen. So that's a blessing. And so sure glad that they're here. Good to see Brother Dan back there and her husband and their family. So thankful for them. And, and uh, there are, uh, after the service this afternoon, there's kind of, there's some, I guess, some goodies and things like that. Now, we started today fasting from sweets for the fall revival. So I guess we'll start tonight fasting from sweets for the fall revival. <laughs> So, amen. I'm going to leave that up to you, whether you take those or not. And Brother Quinlan's probably going to take some and then go home and eat his peach cobbler. Amen. <laughs> and then start tonight. Amen. But just wanted to uh, mention those things. Sure thankful, uh, though, that you're here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing on our services. Brother Quinlan, why don't you pray for us uh, this morning?
Amen. You may be seated this morning. I don't have a lot of announcements. don't want to take a lot of time uh, this morning. I do just want to mention next Saturday uh, is our church-wide outreach, and that's at 1030 in the morning. Be meeting over in the fellowship hall. But this morning I finished my Bible reading in the book of Isaiah, and I just wanted to read the first two verses uh, this morning. I believe it's certainly a powerful thought, but at the same time kind of goes right along with the message here in just a bit. But here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 66, verse number 1. The Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things hath been, saith the Lord. But to this man... Will I look? And I want you to listen to this. He says, But to this man will I look, even to him that is of poor, that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Well, I'm telling you a pretty powerful thought there. Brother Eric, why don't you come ahead? Let's turn to page number 50 together. Page number 50, praise him. Praise Him. We have a lot to praise the Lord for this morning. Amen. Let's sing it out together on the first verse. Praise Him. Praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing over His wonderful love. Proclaim. Hail Him. Hail Him. Highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor. Give to His holy name. Like God. Shepherd, Jesus will guard his children in his arms. He carries them all day long. Praise him, praise him. Tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him. Ever in joyful song. Praise him, praise him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. For our sins He suffered and bled and died. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. Sound His praises, Jesus who bore our sorrows. Love unbounded, wonderful, deep and strong. song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, loud with hosannas ring. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown Him, crown Him, prophet and priest and King. Christ is Victorious power and glory unto the Lord belong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Amen. Let's all stand again. Please turn to page number 19. Page number 19. To God be the glory. We're going to go right over to page number 20 this morning. 
Page number 19. Let's sing it out, all three verses this morning. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin. are going to play. Let's get around and shake hands together this morning. Good to have each one of you here. So thankful for those visiting with us this morning.
Page number 19, if you lost that page, we're going to sing the third verse together in the chorus, and then we're going to go right over into page number 20, my tribute. So page number 19. Let's sing it together on that third verse. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he had done to God be the glory to God be the glory to God be the glory for the things he has done with his blood he has saved me with his power he has raised to read to you from Exodus chapter 35 and then uh, a few verses in verse, uh, chapter 36 as well. As men come for the offering, uh, chapter 35 of Exodus tells us that the people brought their offerings for the building of the tabernacle. It says in verse 21, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone in whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many that were willing-hearted. And it goes tells all what all they brought, continues on through into chapter 36. In verse 5 it says, And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. Brother Joe, would you pray for the offering this morning? Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you, ladies. Let's turn to page 323. We're going to stand together one last time this morning. Page 323. The old account was settled long ago. Let's sing all verses this morning. Lift it up on the first now. There was a time on earth when in the book of heaven an old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top and many things below. I went unto the keeper and settled long ago, long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago. And the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago, the old account was large and growing every day. For I was always sinning and never tried to pay. But when I looked ahead and saw such pain and woe, I said that I would settle. I'd settle long ago, long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago. And the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago, when at the judgment bar I stand before my king, and he the book will open, he cannot find a thing, then will my heart be glad while tears of joy will flow, because I had it settled and settled long ago, long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago, when in that happy home, my Savior's home above, I'll sing redemption story and praise him for his love. I'll not forget that book with pages white as snow. Because I came and settled, and settled long ago, long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago, O sinner, seek the Lord, repent of all your sin, for thus he has commanded if you want enter in and then if you should live a hundred years below up there you'll not regret it you settled long ago long ago long ago yes the old account was settled long ago and the record's clear today for he washed my sins away when the old account was settled long ago Amen. You may be seated. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I can't think of a better day than today. Amen. Get that settled. Just before the message, we're going to have Mrs. Watson come and sing this morning.
thinking about was we were celebrating a physical birthday today, but you need a spiritual birthday as well. And uh, except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven, my friend. And I'm telling you, you need to know Christ as your Savior. But in order for you to know Christ as your Savior, you've got to come to Him according to His Word, and that means you've got to humble yourself as a sinner. And really, I believe this, that's, that's really where our text is certainly heading this morning as we get back into our study of the book of Romans. And so I want to invite you to stand in honor of God's Word, if you're able uh, to stand this morning, and turn with me to Romans and and chapter number 3 this morning. The book of Romans and chapter number 3. And the Bible says this, In verse number 1, what advantage then hath it a Jew? For what profit is there of circumcision? Much every, every way, chiefly because that unto them, the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true but every man a liar. (laughs) Let God be true, but every man a liar. Well, preacher, I don't lie. Yeah, but you have lied. But God cannot lie. So let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome them when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet, then, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. What then, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have, proved, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that, all, that, are, that, they are, that they are all under sin. So, if, if, this is what I was thinking about. If you ever find me preaching and having a conversation with myself, now you know why. 
Because that's what Paul's doing in our text. And notice it says in verse 10, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. What does that mean, preacher? Well, here's what it means. It means this, we're all a bunch of wicked sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, if you remember, and, and some, I realize some of you weren't here, but chapter 2 closed out with the Apostle Paul really showing all men, all right, Gentiles and Jews, that they are sinners and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gentile has his conscience within him. That's the law of God written upon his heart that shows you that there is a God but it also shows us that when we break that law, that we have violated our own conscience and we are now sinners before God without excuse. But also, the Jews, they had their hypocrisy because outwardly they had the circumcision, but inwardly they were not practicing what they preached and they too were guilty before God. So that brings us into chapter 3. And here's what we find, and I want you to grab a hold of this, and, and please catch this. When man is in his pride, he attempts to justify himself by comparing himself with others. That's what the Jews were doing. <laughs> I'm better than the Gentile because I'm not doing what they're doing. But when that fails, and by the way, it did fail because Paul brought up in chapter 2 that we're not judged on others we're judged according to the standard of God. So that did fail. So then what happens is this, is that, is that when man is in his pride and he can't look to others to justify himself, well, then he turns his attention to God. And so there's something wrong with God. There's something wrong with Him. And there's something wrong with His plan. And that's exactly what Paul is dealing with in our text this morning. Because here's the thing, neither one of those things are, are true. There's nothing wrong with God. And there's nothing wrong with God's plan. See, the problem isn't God. The problem's us. God's not the sinner. We're the sinner. God doesn't need to be saved. It's man that needs to be saved. And that's exactly what Paul is, is dealing with. I titled the message this morning the response that Paul gives in verse number 4 that really it sums up this passage. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Great, I'm calling us all liars. Well, yeah, but that's what we are. But God is true. Because here's the thing, and I want you to, and I want you to grab a hold of this. One of the greatest struggles man faces, whether he is lost or saved, is the willingness to humble himself and submit himself to the sovereignty and the authority of God. But I'm telling you, listen, if you're going to have a right, relation, right relationship with God, it's not going to happen until you do that. Until you realize the problem's not Him or His Word, it's us. As a Christian, you cannot have right fellowship with God as long as you continue to blame Him for every problem and, and, and difficulty in your life. But it is especially dangerous for the lost because you cannot be saved until you realize you're a sinner. Amen. 
I'll never forget one time I had a, young, a, a, a guy I grew, grew up with me. He was quite a bit younger than me. And he was, he was with us in a service and he was under conviction. And he went to the altar and asked me to come with him. And he needed to call on the Lord to be saved. And I'll never forget, I prayed. And then I said, all right, it's your turn to pray now. And he just started praying. And then he stopped and he looked at me and he said, this is hard. And I said, it's hard because you're prideful. But I like what one guy said. Never seen anybody choke to death when they swallowed it. And I praise God he did. He swallowed it and he, and he humbled himself and he got saved that night. I'm telling you, because here's why. He realized the problem's not me, or the problem's not God, it's me and I need to be saved. Lord, help us this morning. Bless the preaching of thy word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Years ago, we, we had a family, uh, when I was pastoring in Cassville, we had, a, we had a family that had several generations within the church. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, we had, we had grandparents and then parents and then grandkids. And, and even we're starting to see great-grandkids come up in the church. And, and by the way, that's a good thing. I, I praise God for that. And that's the way it really it ought to be, that we would see kids and then grandkids get saved and be faithfully serving the, the Lord, but the problem was is that they had they had one grandson that had grown up in the church, and he had made a couple of professions of faith throughout his childhood. But by the time he became a teenager, you begin to realize that that's really all it was was it was a profession. It was not really a possession of the Lord Jesus Christ in his soul, and 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 he began to rebel and and get into drugs and and wickedness and all kinds of of sinful living, and by the time that I became the pastor of the church there, uh, he was full-blown into uh, meth and, and all kinds of drugs. His, uh, his, uh, he was very well-known in the town with the lifestyle uh, that he was living and the things that he was doing, but it eventually got to the place where he was starting to sow some of the consequences of that, and so he started coming... Uh, to church because he needed some help. And in and fact, he even came to me and he, and he said, Preacher, I'd, I'd like to do a, a Bible uh, study with you. And so uh, we did. And in and fact, right off the bat, you could tell he was still very much full of pride. And the way that I would diagnose it was this, is that his childhood and being raised in church, it gave him just enough theology to be messed up in his thinking and in his mind. In fact, in the second lesson, he began to open up and he started asking me questions. He started asking me things like this and just hang with me for a minute. But he began to ask things like this. I never forget he asked this. He said, if God knows all things, then how come he let the devil tempt Eve in the garden? Bring sin into the world. Pretty good question. But then he began to say this. This was the next thing. He said, if God knows all things and He knows what, what I will do when I'm tempted with sin, then why does He allow me to be tempted? And hopefully, as I've read those questions to you, hopefully you can see the line of thinking that was really in His heart and in His mind because what He was trying to do was He was trying to blame God for the circumstances of his life. You know, God allowed this to happen and God let these things take place. And, and just in case you're wondering, here's what I answered him. 
Number one, had Adam and Eve not sinned in the garden, you wouldn't be in existence right now. But number two, God made you as well as Adam and Eve free moral agents with the ability to choose and to love God and to obey God in His Word. And here's what he said about temptation in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. God, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Is everybody catching that? See, what I'm saying to you is this, is that the problem wasn't God or even the temptations. The problem was Him and the choices that He had made. And by the way, I praise God that, that eventually through the Bible studies that this young man did humble himself and he began to realize it wasn't God that was the problem. It was him that was the problem. But God had the answer in Jesus Christ and he called upon him and got saved. But the point is to say this, that's the same line of thinking that Paul is dealing with in our text in Romans chapter 3. As already mentioned, this chapter picks up right where we left off in chapter number 2. Paul had confronted the self-righteous Jews on their hypocrisy. Outwardly, they had circumcision, but inwardly, their hearts towards God was very hard. And as a result, they were just as guilty as the Gentiles that they were using as their standard of self-righteousness. And so the question then becomes, well then, what would be the advantage to being a Jew and in, in having circumcision? And that's exactly what Paul begins to ask in verse number 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? And so Paul then answers that question in verse 2. He says, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, though you are an Israelite and a Jew, and you have circumcision, and you have hypocrisy, there's still an advantage, and here's why. Because you've been given the Word of God. That's what the word oracles means in that, in that verse right there. Israel is... And by the way, still is God's chosen people. And Israel started with Abraham, who we would say is the father of the Jews. And God would call him out of Ur, the Chaldees, and into the promised land. God made a covenant with Abraham to say in his seed that, you, you know, to bless those that bless uh, you, uh, bless thee, uh, you, you will bless them. And, those that curse them, uh, that uh, God will curse them. And, 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 throughout, and, and through Him, He says, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Yeah. Now, by the way, that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I mean, and then we, many of us know the story here this morning that it was during the days of Jacob, Abraham's uh, grandson, that the family of Israel would end up in Egypt because of the famine. But another Pharaoh came into power who knew not Joseph, the Bible says, which would be Jacob's son. And so Israel was then put into bondage. However, God would deliver them through Moses. And what I've always said is this, is that Israel went down into Egypt as a family, but they came out as a nation. 
And God would bring them back once again into the promised land. But up until this point, see, there was no written word of God. But then Moses would meet with God on Mount Sinai and begin to get the law from God. From here, Joshua, we know this, would lead the people into the promised land. Then you have the days of judges where every man does that which is right in his own eyes, kind of like the day in which we're living in. Uh, then we know this, that, that God would make Saul the king over Israel. But because of Saul's disobedience, David would be uh, anointed to take his place. And be a fact, during the reign of David, God would make another covenant uh, with him to say that someone from his lineage would always be on the throne of David. And, and by the way, that too was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And during the days of the kings, God would raise up prophets to take His people His words to warn them of the judgment of God that would be coming because of their sin and to call them back to repentance and, and, and faith in Him and, and to preach His mercy and His love towards them. But the point, is, the point in why I'm giving you all of this is to say this, that these are the writings that sum up the Old Testament Scriptures. In fact, Jesus would call it the law and the prophets. Is anybody getting this? Come on, the, the, this, these uh, are the writings that would record creation, and, but also Israel's history and God's working among them. By the way, even God's plan in the future where He would send the Messiah who is Jesus Christ. And the point that Paul is making in our text is that this was an advantage to the Jew. It was an advantage. You understand where much of the world has general revelation through creation? The Jews had special revelation through the Word of God. Well, what does that mean, preacher? Well, general, general revelation just simply tells us this. There is a God. But I'm just telling you, there's a reason why the sun comes up and goes down. There's a reason why the weather's beginning to get cooler and the season of autumn is upon us. Well, here's why. Because God ordained those things in creation. Tells us there is a God. Is anybody getting this? But you understand, special revelation through the Word of God, it tells us who God is and how He works among us and also what is required of mankind. So that man not only could know that there is a God, man can know God. What a blessing that is. What an advantage that is. See, but here's the thing. Please catch this this morning. That's not what the Jews were doing during the days of Paul. And, and dare I say, even the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, they were questioning God, even falsely accusing God. And this is what Paul begins to deal with in the following verses. Look at what happens in verse number 3. Let's go down through here and explain some of these things because I would venture to say, if you're like me and you read some of these things through like we just did, your eggs are probably a little scrambled over what's going on here. So let's chew on this for just a minute. He says this in verse number 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So the question is posed here, what if some did not believe? In other words, what if some did not believe the Word of God? 
that he mentions in verse number 2. And as a result of this unbelief, Paul poses another question. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? In other words, since they didn't believe, doesn't that make the Word of God invalid? That's what he's talking about. Well, good news. He answers the question in verse 4. Here's what he says. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. The point is this, is that if people didn't believe the Word of God, that's not God's fault. I said, that's not God's fault. If people didn't believe, and here's why, it is man that is a liar. But God cannot lie, the Bible says. His Word is truth. And by the way, here's what I found out. He always keeps His Word. He always keeps His Word. Be a fact, notice what He goes on to say. He says, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. See, what Paul is doing here is he's quoting Psalm 51 in verse number 4. This is the psalm that David penned after his sin with Bathsheba. Come on, David wasn't going, you know, God... I know I, you know, I know I did this thing with Bathsheba, but this is not my fault. You put this temptation in my path. And it wasn't, no, no, no. And, and when David began, to, David began to humble himself and to repent, it wasn't God that said, well, you know, David, hey, sorry about that. That was on me. God didn't say that. God called Nathan to go to David because David had been trying to keep it in secret. And here's what Nathan said to David that God said to tell him, David, thou art the man. In other words, you're the one that sinned. You're the one that messed up. You're the one that blew it with God. And David here is admitting that I've sinned and I messed up. And what Paul is saying is this, is that that was the hard attitude of David then, and that ought to be the hard attitude of God's people right now. I, I'm telling you, friend, listen, you, you've got to grab a hold of these things. See, the, uh, listen, listen to this. The majority of this world can reject the truth of God's Word, and I believe that's exactly what's taking place in our day and time. But that doesn't make this book any less truth. What determine, listen, what you think about this book doesn't determine the truth of it. It's got nothing to do with what you think. The truth of it is determined in the source of God. And God cannot lie. He is infallible, my friend. He is inerrant. He is holy and righteous and perfect in everything that He does and says. Regardless, listen, it's still truth, regardless of man's decision on it. And by the way, it's not a subjective truth. Well, you know, you know, you know, one that's determined by your background and your circumstances. And well, you know, preacher, you've got your truth and I have my truth. And, and, and you know, you, you were raised a different way than me and, and I was raised, this is my truth. No, 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 friend. That's not what this truth is based on. It doesn't matter your, your nationality or your background or your religion or your race or your circumstances of life. It is still absolute truth. It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. It's God's Word. But notice, he keeps going. Look at verse number 5. 
He says, but if our right unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, well, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. So there's another question here. If, if our unrighteousness commendeth the righteousness of God, what shall we say is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? Do you know what the word commend means in that verse? It means this, to approve of. In other words, what, he, what really is, is at the heart of this is that there was a mindset that said this, that really our sin and our evil and our wickedness brings glory to the righteousness of God. And so if it does, wouldn't it be wrong for Him to judge us? And look at verse number four, verse number six, excuse me. He says, God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? What Paul is saying here is this, is that their line of thinking was not only illogical, it was utter blasphemous. God is holy and God is high and God is lifted up and He does not need to repent as man needs to repent. Rather, He will judge the world, not in unrighteousness, but according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In fact, in verses 7 and 8, Paul continues to elaborate on this as he kind of gives some, some, uh, some personal accusations that had even been made towards him to just show how absurd the thinking is. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. What Paul is saying is this, is that if our unrighteousness commends the righteousness of God, then according to that logic, let's do more evil so that more glory is brought to God. You got your thinking caps on with me, right? Because some of you ought to be looking at me like, that's not right. Because it's not, it's absurd. Yet this was being slanderously reported about the gospel message that Paul was preaching. And it is a misunderstanding of the grace of God. Please listen to this. The grace of God is not available so that we can continue in sin or even do more sin. The grace of God is available so that you might have victory over sin. That's why the grace of God is available and, and to Paul's point, if this was his message, then why would he even bring up the judgment of God? What would it matter if we just do more evil and that brings him more glory? That's utter, that is utter ridiculous. Do you see what I'm saying? Be a fact. Be a fact. Hold your Bibles and go with me to Romans chapter 5 because he's going to clear this up even more. Uh, and, and spend some time on it. Be in fact, devote a whole chapter to it. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse number 20. Oh, I like this. He says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might, might abound, but where sin abounded, oh, grace did much more abound. Somebody say amen. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Boy, I'm telling you, you know what that means? That means this. That it doesn't matter what evil is in your life or what wickedness is in your life or the things that you've done. My friend, if you'll humble yourself and come to God, He'll save you and forgive you of all of your sin. That is grace. 
That's grace. But at the same time, note what happens in chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Do more sin to get more grace? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, once grace is received, I'm telling you, my friend, that's not the ticket for you to live like the devil. That's the grace of God to give you victory over sin. And if you continue in sin and continue to live in wickedness, you need to understand this. The end result of that is not more grace. The wages of sin, according to the conclusion of the chapter in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the wage. That's what. That's the end result of sin, not grace. Is anybody getting this? So you understand, Paul is, is confronting all this nonsense and and foolish uh, logic and 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 dealing with the Jews on their mindset uh, of this and, and and towards the Word of God. So now that we've explained all of that, all right, let's let's make some application and. And get down to the rubber, where the rubber meets the road for you and, and me this morning. That was all introduction. <laughs> but, you, wait, but here's the thing. I would venture to say that most every person here is Gentile and not Jew. But there's still an application to you and me. Because here's, here's the thing. I would say this. Like the Jews... We are a people with an advantage with the Word of God. I said, we, we are a people with an advantage of the Word of God. Now listen, we, I, I would say this, I, we are a blessed people, aren't we? I mean, come on, with a host of, of advantages beyond air conditioning and, and padded pews and, and indoor plumbing. Huge fan. Amen. Some, I'm telling you, this, anyways, it's, it's fun getting older, you know, and you see a payphone. And your kids are like, what is that? I'm like, well, that's what Superman changes in. <laughs> you know, you could have been born in Iran. Or communist China or Russia. North Korea. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I realize that America has her issues today. But she's still the greatest nation on the face of the earth. If it, Listen to me. If it's not, then why are people continuously crossing our borders to come here? You know why? To get an advantage. I said to get an advantage. And I remember, listen, I, I realize today is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. I remember where I was at on 9-11. I remember where I was welding at a chemical plant. And I remember when it happened, and I loved watching our nation come together. And would to God we had some more of them days. But you, you understand, friend, listen, there's more, there's more to it than this. You've you got to understand that the greatest advantage that you and I have right now is the Word of God. And I praise God, man. I look back and think about our nation and, and the Word of God and the influence that it had on the founding of our country and and even the Baptist people, most people don't realize the Bill of Rights was put in there because of the influence of the Baptist pastor in Virginia named James Leland uh, who had an influence on getting us the freedom of, 
of religion and the freedom of speech and the right to bear own, you can have an AR-15 because of Baptists today. And most people don't even know this. George Washington, the first president, was a Baptist. He was baptized by John Gano in the Hudson River in New York, the, Baptist, the first Baptist church in New York. Isn't that amazing? But you, you understand, friend, that that was the influence. You, you don't get liberty and freedom from things like socialism and communism. You get those principles from this right here and the influence that it had. But, so you've you got to understand the, 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 the advantage that you have living in a country where you can have the Word of God and have it preached to you and to hear the, the special revelation of who God is and what He has done for us and what is required that we know Him. What a blessing that is. Now, I'm, I'm, now you, you got to understand, you're, you're in Faith Baptist Church, and as the pastor of this church, I, I would venture to say most people in here realize that when I say the Word of God, I'm talking about the authorized King James Version of the Scriptures. Because I believe that that is the preserved Word of God for the English-speaking people. And this is what I love. God did promise to preserve His Word. In, in Psalm 12, in verses 6 and 7, this is what God said. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God wanted mankind to have His Word so that mankind could not just know of Him, but know Him. And I believe this, He did it through two specific avenues. As I already mentioned, He used Israel to preserve the Old Testament Scriptures. actually done a little reading on this. In, in his book, General Biblical Introduction, H.S. Miller cites eight rules the Jews used to copy and preserve Scriptures. And these are them. Number one, the parchment must be made of clean animal skin. Number two, each column must have no less than 40 and no more than 60 lines. No other ink color can be used other than black, so you can't have a red-lettered edition. No, no word nor letter could be written from memory. The scribe must have an authentic copy before them to verify the writing. I thought that was really good. Number five, he must reverently wipe his pen each time before writing the word for God. That's powerful, like Elohim. He must wash his whole body before he ever writes the name Jehovah. That's awesome. Some of you didn't even take a bath before you came to church this morning. You know who you are. <laughs> Others around you might know who you are too. So be <laughs> Number six, focus. Strict rules were given for forms of letters and spaces between letters and words and sections. Number seven, the revision of a roll must be done or must be made within 30 days after the work is completed, otherwise it was considered worthless. Number eight, every word or, and letter was counted. And if anything was missing or extra, the whole manuscript was con condemned and destroyed at, at once. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? But you understand, and the reason that I bring that up is because, listen to this, that, that kind of process, it ensured the validity of the Old Testament manuscripts 
It's why Paul could tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. See, people today claim to believe, well, I just only believe the original manuscripts. Well, here's the problem. The originals don't exist anymore. But you understand that, that, that Timothy, Timothy didn't have the originals. He had copies of copies of copies, yet because of this strict process of preserving and copying the Bible, God's, and God's promise to preserve His Word, Paul could boldly say that what Timothy, what you have, it is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is the Word of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Do you know what that means? That means it, it tells you what is right. It tells you what is wrong. It tells you how to get it right. And it tells you how to keep it right. That's what it does. And by the way, God also used New Testament churches, particularly Baptist churches, to preserve the New Testament Scriptures. Following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, as Peter says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the apostles, those that had witnessed the gospel of Christ, they began to pin down the New Testament Scriptures in their accounts of Jesus and His earthly ministry. We, we do not need apostles today. Number one, they're not qualified according to the Scriptures because they haven't seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. But number two, though the real apostles are dead, they still speaketh. We have the Word of God. Greek manuscripts begin to be copied following the similar rules of the Old Testament Jews that we just gave. However, in 3.30.18, Catholicism rose to power. The world was plunged into the Dark Ages. It's called that because false religion began to stamp out the true light of the gospel in the Lord's churches, particularly Baptist churches. And one of the things that they did was they forbade common man from having the Word of God. Here's why, because if common man ever got a hold of it, he'd realize what a lie the religion was he believed. But as the devil was working and attacking the Word of God, which he always does, God was also at work keeping His promise to preserve the Word of God with men like John Wycliffe and William Tyndall, who was burned alive at the stake. You know why? For simply copying the Word of God so that the common man could have it. On the stake, while the fire was lit and he was burning to death, John Tyndall, John or William Tyndall offered up this prayer, O Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And by the way, it was answered. In 1611, when the king gave the commandment to put together a, a, a copy of the Word of God so that mankind, the common man, could have it. And here we stand today, still holding true to that promise. And I realize you can walk into any so-called Christian bookstore today and find a plethora of versions of the Scriptures. I'm just telling you, 
that there is a lineage of scriptures that God preserved His Word through for the English-speaking people, and from that comes the authorized King James Version of the Bible. And I'm not saying that flippantly. I remember when I got saved, and I went to my pastor and said, why do we use the King James Bible? And he said, because we use the King James Bible. In fact, I began to study it and find out. And here's what I found out. One of the big reasons is because of the manuscripts that it comes from. Do you know this? There's a lineage of manuscripts called the Textus Receptus. That's just a fancy theological Latin term that makes me look smart. And I need all the help I can get. But all that means is this, the received text. Do you know what that means? That means all of the manuscripts that were proven to be valid copies of the Word of God and were received in through churches down through the ages and kept, and many of them Baptist churches. That's what it means. They were proved to be valid. And it's from this lineage of manuscripts that the King James Version was, was translated from. Now, when you go out into the store and you find the New King James and the ESV and the NIV and all this other stuff, none of those come from that lineage of manuscripts. They come from the corrupt manuscript of Westcott and Hort, which was made up of only two manuscripts, and one of them was in a, one of them was in a trash can awaiting to be burned. It had already been condemned as, errone, as an erroneous manuscript. Nothing, no other, not even a new King James comes from that. Isn't that amazing? And I realize some will say, well, you know, they used them because they were found to be older. Well, the, here's the reason why they were older. is because they'd never been used. Because they had always been condemned. Is anybody getting this? Be, be a fact, here's another reason why. Because of the method of translation. Most of the modern versions have what's called dynamic equivalency, and that's where the translator reads a paragraph or a section of Scripture, and then he writes down what he thought it said. I don't want what he thought it said. I want what God said, which is why the King James Version is a word-for-word translation. Here's another reason why, the motive behind it. Do you know this? That the King James Version of the Scriptures, outside of a study Bible or something like that, is the only Bible that doesn't have a copyright on it. I can take it in there and put it on the copier and print off as much as I want and hand it out to the common man. All other versions on the market have a copyright on them because it's all about the almighty dollar. Listen, it's, it's not that the Word of God's changed. I said it's not that the Word of God's changed. And, and let me help you with this. The English language isn't getting any better. Oh, or somebody said they were going to go eat with their bay. I was like, what is a bay? You're going to go eat at the bay? Like sitting on the dock of the bay? There's a few more consonants in there. Get with it. 1611 was the height of the English language. Do you know this? It used to be used in our schools to teach our kids English, proper English. Sounds like maybe we ought to get it back in there. Not just for proper English, though. Come on, this isn't even in my notes. This is all free. You're getting it right here. I'm just telling you, it's crazy. Stuff we're doing. Huh. But this is what, now watch this. 
See, there, there, there are a multitude of more reasons as to why we stand where we do on the King James Bible. But the point is to say this this morning. You and I have a huge advantage. Well, what do you, what do you mean? Well, what I'm saying is this, is that if you hold a King James Bible in your lap this morning, then you have the oracles of God right in front of you. The Word of God. And, but here, but mm, see, this brings me to the second thing. Good news, only got two points, but this is important because here's the thing about advantages. They're not really advantages until you take advantage. You got to take advantage of it. Well, what? Well, how do I take advantage of the oracles of God? Here's how you make it the authority in your life. You humbly, no, no, no. You stop sitting around and pointing out, well, what about this, God? No, this is wrong, God. This is wrong. Nope, nope. Because God and His Word is not the problem. We're the problem. And we humble ourselves to the authority and sovereignty of God and His, His Word. Now, here's how you do that. Here's how you do that. Watch, watch, watch it. It's the things that, that Israel wasn't doing that Paul brings up. Here's how you do it. You mix faith with it. Look at what he says in verse 3. And not only so, but we... Or I'm sorry, I'm in Romans chapter 5. Look at verse number, verse number 3 of Romans chapter 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Nope. But if you do have belief in the Word of God... It will have an effect. In other words, you must believe it and put it into practice in your life. And by the way, those two things are one and the same. Don't sit here this morning and go, Well, you know, preacher, I believe the Word of God. And then walk out of here and live like the devil because the truth of the matter is you really don't believe the Word of God if you don't live the Word of God. That's not faith. That's lip service. Faith is believing and obeying the Word of God. You know what my fear is? My fear is that many, and especially even God's people, we approach church and the things of God, and especially the Word of God, much like Israel did during the days of Ezekiel. Here's what it says in Ezekiel 33 and verses 31 and 32. And they came unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice that can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. This is not a performance this morning. This is not a stage. This is a platform and a pulpit made of wood. Why? For the sounding out of the Word of God. So that the people of God will not just hear the words, but, but do them. And my friend, I am telling you, listen, people come by and, and after the service and will tell you, great message... That was a great message, preacher. While they're wiping the sleep out of their eye. 
Because they stayed up the night before doing, God's know what, doing God knows what. And they slept right through the whole message. And I'm half tempted at times to go, really? Name me one point in the message. But then they'll probably get mad and stop coming by and shaking my hand. This is not a performance. This is the giving of the Word of God. And I listen, I one one of my this is one of my pet peeves too, even even with the King James Bible is well, you know, we just believe that old King James Bible. Well, that's great, but what's in it? And they can't tell you any kind of doctrine that's in it. And they don't know what they believe about salvation or baptism or, or what the church is and faithfully attend and tithe and give to mission. They have no idea. Folks, that is no different than what Jesus said to the scribes whose job was to copy the Word of God. And He would say to them, Have you not read? Because all it was to them was a job. And they weren't actually looking at the Scriptures had they been looking at the Scriptures and they heard the Lord Jesus Christ, they would have said, that's Him. That's Him. That's the Messiah. Because even Jesus said in John chapter 5, in verse 39, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. Read Isaiah 53. Son, that's talking all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, it's talking about the Savior, the lamb before the shears and the, and the sheep before the slaughter. That's talking about the Savior. And they'd have known Him had it not just been just a job. And here we have the oracles of God right in our laps. And the best thing we can do with it is make a coffee table ornament out of it. And then come into the house of God like we're punching a time clock and go through the motions. And the man of God is sitting up there preaching the Word of God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his might. That was a lovely song this morning, preacher. I do sing good. Not really. And the invitation is given and all we can think about is hurry up and get this thing over with because i got to go back to my ball game or my TV or my food or whatever idol we're serving in our life. And that's where our minds are at. You want to take advantage of the Word of God? Here's what you do. Put your faith in it. Amen. You want to know God? You really want to know God? Well, come to God according to His Word, which is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Humble yourself and realize you're the sinner that's on your way to hell. And then put your faith in Christ and have Him save you and forgive you and give you eternal life and indwell you with the Spirit of God and change your life upside down. My friend, my friend, that's an advantage to take, to take advantage of. Amen. If you want to take advantage, child of God then stop blaming God for everything and trust in the Word of God and live for God. Make it the authority of your life. That's why we've got all these new versions of the English Scripture. They're really perversions. Most people don't even know this. But they're, they're in the AESV version, in the NIV version, there are over 64,000 words taken out. And, in the, and, 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 and I think like, I don't remember how many I got in my notes, but it's like 15 or 20 verses taken out. Most people don't even know that. I remember sitting in a lady's home one time, 
And she said, y'all use the King James Version, and we use the NIV. Why do you do that? And I said, and I said here, here, take your NIV Bible and turn to Acts chapter 8 and read verse 37. And she couldn't do it. Because it goes verse 36 and verse 38. It skips it. It's not there. Do you know what it says? It's talking about Philip and the eunuch. And the eunuch in the previous verse, what just sent me to be baptized? And Philip says in that verse, that if you'll believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be baptized. And the, and, the, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, I believe that verse is his testimony of salvation. How important is that? And to have it removed makes it look like, oh, he got baptized. And baptism is what saves you when baptism doesn't save you. You can't put water where the blood's supposed to go. Most people don't have a clue. Because you got an advantage sitting in your lap and you have no idea. And here's why you got all them perversions of the scriptures that take out words like sodomites and, 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 and hell and repentance. And, and now we, we, well, you know, we need a gender neutral, you know, Bible now. Because, you know, we, we, we're not even sure which bathroom to use anymore. You know why that is? Because of the culture in which we're living in. And mankind has taken an authority that doesn't belong to him. That's right. And he's changed the word of God instead of letting the word of God change you. You're not to tamper with the Bible. You let the Bible tamper with you. That's what's supposed to happen. But it's no different with us. And some tragedy or trial comes in our life and we start blaming God. Let, let, me, let me help you with some things this morning. If you've got some things happening in your life, well, number one, it may be because you're reaping what you've sown. That's called the law of sowing and reaping. You can't sow to the flesh but then reap the things of the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. You sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh. You sow to the Spirit, you reap of the Spirit. Is everybody getting this? So I'm just telling you, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just telling you that in order for you to get to a place where you once again have a right walk and a right fellowship with God, then you're going to have to humble yourself and realize that you're, 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 the consequences that you're enduring in your life is not God's fault. It's the consequences of your own choices and decisions. That's right. And the fact that He's chastening you as a merciful and loving Heavenly Father is something you ought to be grateful for. Amen. And that He's trying to get your spiritual attention. But even if it's not, and maybe it's just some difficulty or hardship that's coming in life, you have no right to sit back and go, I don't deserve this. Because read the rest of the passage. There is none good. No, not one. There is none that seeketh after. You know what that means? That means we're all a bunch of wicked sinners and we do deserve stuff. And we do. And here's the last thing. I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen some people go through some hard things as a pastor. Our family included. Death of loved ones, spouse, child. I mean, hard things. But you will never find peace with God until you humble yourself. 
to his sovereignty and his authority and let go of all the bitterness and the pride and the false accusations and just let it go. Because you've taken an authority that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. Folks, I'm telling you, we have a wonderful advantage. Amen. We really do. We just aren't taking advantage of it. And we sit back and, listen, I, I'm reading, this, I, I just finished this book on, on Frank Hamer, The Last Texas Ranger. I love that stuff. It encourages my toxic masculinity. <laughs> but what was amazing was to see his life go through from when they were actually on horseback and patrolling the border towns throughout Texas and dealing with Mexican desperados. Praise God, some of them got through and I can have chips and salsa now, but... (laughs) That was not not in my notes either, sorry. But he went, listen, listen to this, he went from that all the way up through the 1900s and into the modern era of the automobile. In fact, he was the one that they brought out of retirement to track down Bonnie and Clyde and kill them. Incredible, incredible story. And I've been doing some other research and reading and things like that. But the point is to say this. Did you realize this? That it wasn't until after really World War II that we became a people of entertainment and recreation. We really have. I mean, it's crazy now, man. People, people... I mean, it wasn't a hundred years ago people were raising their own crops and their own animals. And people sit back on social media today and see the killing of an animal for food and they go, that's so cruel! And then they go to the grocery store and buy a chicken. And I'm like, where do you think that chicken leg came from? You just want to, I don't know, you just want to slap people in Jesus' name sometimes. Dumb as a box of rocks. If you fry short of a Happy Meal, you know what I'm saying? But that's the generation and the mindset we're in. We're spoiled. That's right. We are spoiled. And you got an advantage sitting right in front of you. And then every time something bad happens, we shift the blame to everybody else. And even him. When really what needs to happen is you get low. Amen. And you get humble. Because here's what I found in my own life. Listen to me, and I'm through. God's not the problem. God's the answer. Yes. Amen. He's the answer. Let's all stand this morning.